0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I
1: want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a
0: producer. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast. This week, the show is sponsored by Hand to God, the most Tony nominated new American play on Broadway. The New York Times calls Hand to God flat-out hilarious and a true tour de force. and the Huffington Post raves, it's the best play of the season. For tickets, visit telecharge.com. And now, on with the podcast. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kentdavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week. One article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's KenDavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Producer's Perspective podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to tell you a little story back from the days of the 90s, 1993, when I witnessed my first tech of a Broadway show. It was Grease. I was the production assistant, which meant I got everybody coffee. Uh, as you all know, tech is a very arduous process where the cast and the physical elements of the production finally come together. We actually had a lot of moving parts on that show. Lots of scenery, props, a billion Verilites, and cues to go with it. It took us a couple weeks to get through teching the show. And when we did, I remember the PSM saying, okay, now let's run it from the top. And I remember thinking, this is going to be a disaster. I had never seen a Broadway show come together, but still, I knew after two weeks, there was no way we were going to get through it. And then we started and we got through it just like that. We only stopped, I think it was twice, and it was because the cast had questions. The crew did not. And after the dinner break, I I went to the stage manager and I said, is this typical for a Broadway show? Is this a fluke? Was this an easy show? And he said to me verbatim, Ken, that's what happens when you have the best stagehands in the world working on your show. And today, I'm talking to the leader of those stagehands, James Claffey Jr., the president of Local One, the stagehands union. Welcome, Jimmy.
1: How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Jimmy has a long family tradition in Local One, including five brothers who are members of the union. I hope you didn't have to lobby too hard for their votes. No, no. Uh, He's been a member himself since 1982. As a stagehand, he worked at venues all over the city, including Radio City, Madison Square Garden, and of course, most of our Broadway houses. He studied labor and negotiation at both Cornell and Harvard. Never heard of it. Uh, and has been serving as an officer of Local One since 96 and was elected president in 2004 and is now on his fourth term. So, Jimmy, before you were president, back when you were a stagehand, which I love, you worked yourself up through the ranks. Sure. Tell me a bit about the process of how you became a stagehand in the first place.
1: Well, uh, I became a stagehand because I followed in the footsteps of my father. Uh, it's, uh, it's not unique. I mean, it's, uh, There are a lot of father and sons and nephews and and cousins in the industry that doesn't preclude uh, others from getting in the business, but um, I came in. I'm proud that I came through my father. My father had five of his sons that he trained personally at City Center, which is the 55th Street Dance Theater over uh, uh, on 56th Street. Uh, He trained us all for years. We became members, and then we all branched out. I happened to be at City Center for quite a while, and then uh, I branched out to Madison Square Garden. I branched out to actually the, the television portion of our jurisdiction through the networks. Uh, my brothers went through uh, various locations, Radio City, Broadway. Uh, we all kind of branched out, and uh, you know, my father did a good thing for us.
0: Was he a carpenter, or electrician? My father he... was the head
1: electrician at City Center for about 15 years. And you were an electrician as well? I was an electrician at City Center later on. Uh, and, and that's why we like to say it, Local one-year jack-of-all-trades, because uh, later on I moved over to, uh, at Radio City. I was in the property department. I worked at ABC Television on One Life to Live, in either the carpenter department, prop department, or the electric department. And uh, I think that our most successful stagehands are probably ones that are well-rounded. Um, I, I would suggest that uh, there are stagehands that are far uh, uh, more talented as far as the technical skills. But... Uh, having a general knowledge in every area will, will serve you well.
0: What was the first
1: project that you
0: worked on at City
1: Center? Do you remember? I do. It was the music band with Dick Van Dyke, and uh, that was unusual because City Center is a dance house. So for 13 years, I was the head spotlight operator for a lot of the the dance companies, Alvin Ailey, Joffrey Ballet, a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the incoming uh, ballet companies from around the world and around the country that came in and. Uh, I got really exposed to the dance world, but music man was was, was a musical, but it was not typical at city center because it was a dance house but it was it was fabulous. It was a terrific experience. you are coming right out of high school um, you know for a guy who wanted to be a baseball player, I became a stagehand, uh, and to to experience that was really something uh, quite remarkable. Uh, you were how old. I was 18. 18 years yeah, old. right out of high school. Were you nervous
0: backstage?
1: <laughs> no. You know what? I was probably, uh, you know, the boss's son It probably made it a little bit easier. But uh, you really, when you're backstage, you really have to know what the heck you're doing or you're not going to be successful because you can't be in the way. And City Center, you know, it's much bigger now. It's been renovated and they have a larger all-stage all space. But back then you had uh, some smaller wings. And if, if, if you're not in the right place, it could be dangerous. But uh, my dad, I'd like to think my dad taught us really well.
0: It's funny you say being in the way. On that same production of Greece, I ended up as subbing as a stage manager, oh, okay. and it was at the O'Neill, which doesn't have a lot oh, of experience yeah. at all. Oh yeah, and I literally, after about two or three times subbing, running the deck, I was like, "I don't want to do this anymore." <laughs> literally, because the stage hand, you know we talk about choreography on stage. There right. is as much or more choreography backstage. And I just kept getting in the way of stagehands who were not, uh, right. who were very politely <laughs> told me, perhaps backstage <laughs> is not the best. Go in front of the proscenium. At least yeah. they were polite. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's like, mm-hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about the uh, the apprentice program, because for for those people out there that are listening that I would like to be a stage-end, I would like to get involved. You do have an extensive apprentice program,
1: absolutely, and I appreciate that you, that uh, you brought that up. We have uh, an apprentice program that we're very proud of. It's uh, administered by a, a state organization, so we really don't have control over it. What we do is we try to reach out to all different areas, all different demographics, all different any forms of communication, and and reach out to any that any. Anybody at all that wants to uh, take our apprenticeship program—it's about every two and a half to three years that we offer it because uh, there's only a certain amount of apprentices that we have to fill positions, and we negotiate them in our contracts for apprentices. Um, but anybody that can uh, that can do well in the test—typically, we're taking the top 40 out of out of maybe uh, you know a couple of hundred uh, folks that take the test. And those top 40, we will place them um, per the order of of their aptitude, how their scores. Go. We also have our replacement room, which is open to the public. So, you know, we encourage folks to come in, and if they can, if they can gain some experience, if they have some sort of knowledge, and we can help them through our, uh, our replacement room and place them, whether it's cancellations or additional hires, um, that room is open to anybody and everybody that can, that can come in and provide a good service.
0: But it's, it's very competitive. I like, because it's your, you are, the top I mean, this is the best of the best.
1: I have an ego about it. And I say, we're the premier stagecraft local on the planet. We're the oldest entertainment union in the United States of America, for for folks that don't know. But, uh, you know, we're, like I said, I have an ego, but I I carry that with great pride, and I appreciate you saying that.
0: Yeah, and look, it's just like the actors union as well. We have the best people in the world on the stage. I don't care what London says. Don't tell them. (laughs) Um, But the same... uh, I'm, I'm with you. The best back as well.
1: Uh, did you go to the theater a lot when you were a kid?
0: Did your dad take you to the...
1: I did not. I did not. And he like said, I was, I was, a. like my whole life, I wanted to be a baseball player. So I was playing baseball and you know, occasionally I'd go see a concert here and there, but I was not a theater goer. And, uh, especially, I was not uh, a big fan of the ballet until, you know, I sat there and I, I watched it and I became a very big fan of the ballet, believe it or not. Um, and, a, and, and modern dance and, and so on. But, uh, um, over the years, because it's good for my crew to have a presence at their opening nights, and it's good for our employers to see me represent my local. I've, I've gone to more productions, and I have a greater, greater, uh, uh, you know, a knowledge and a greater respect for, for you know, from seeing it out front rather than from backstage where I was for so many years. So, um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful
0: business. So after a number of years, uh, working as a stagehand, you decided to start to, Work out of rooms like the one we're in, <laughs> administrative rooms. What drew you to the other side of the stage?
1: I was actually I was elected, um, even not by my own choice. I was I was elected as shop steward at City Center, and then later I was elected a sh- uh, shop steward at Radio City Music Hall uh, when I when I moved over to there. And uh, and frankly, I was I was pushed by some of my friends who probably who maybe saw a little bit more in myself than I didn't see, uh, and I I really wasn't. It was never my dream to be the, the president of local one it was not it was you know I was making a good living and and I had a good lifestyle and, and I was proud of what I was doing but I had my uh, my brothers and my sisters that said well, we'd really like you to go ahead and, and make a shot and, and try to win an election and I was very very surprised at my first election and I ran for chairman of board of trustees and I was uh, I, I actually I ran for trustee but I was elected as chairman to my surprise and it was a very good experience. And from there, I was pushed further. And finally, I didn't have to push it myself. I thought, you know what? I, I could help my local and I ran for president. Right
0: I hear this a lot from people, actually, this mm-hmm. idea. Like, I never thought I would produce this. I never thought I would direct this.
1: Right. But the, the you just said yes along the way. I did. And you know what? And frankly, I, I found my niche. Uh, you know what? I, I, I care about my members. I care about the labor movement. I care about my employers who we, you know, we have to provide a good service for, and I think that I'm a, a, a I'm better at what I do now than I when I was actually on the stage. And I'm going to bet that some of my brothers and sisters will say the same thing. That uh, you know what, everybody has their niche, and uh, I try to represent them well. They'd rather see you
0: in here than than holding a fall spot. Or... <laughs> yes, we might ask them that.
1: Maybe a few ballerinas
0: are happy about that yes. as well. Uh, so tell me, you're now the president of Local One. What does that mean what what is your role and responsibility as the president of a union
1: my role is uh one is to make sure that our, our more than 3200 members of, uh, of local one are served and uh and and again the other is to make that our, make sure that our employers are served i have a an executive board that we uh you know that we're the leadership that are elected by the membership of local one um i have four business managers who are you know frankly uh, enforce our contracts with employers but also make sure that we're providing a good service and uh, and you know I oversee the negotiations of uh, of, of uh, you know every employer's contract you know we have our, our negotiations we have grievances we have issues but I'm also uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be the lead promoter of the local I'm a reflection of the local I'm supposed to be uh, setting policy and I'm supposed to be a reflection of, of their sophistication and their honor and you uh, and that's every day. That's uh, something that, that I take very seriously. And
0: I think a lot of us, again, mistakenly believe that the local one is just Broadway stagehands, but it's not. As you said, it's television, yeah. it's concerts, it's it's industrials, right? In uh, certain benches. Many,
1: and, and we can't overlook the Metropolitan Opera House because, frankly, I think, I think I know I have an equal amount of stagehands and shop workers at at, at the Met Opera. Um, the same number of stagehands at the Met that I do with all of Broadway combined. Wow. Folks do not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> the Metropolitan Opera House is, is the number one theatrical employer of not only Local One, but the country. So 350 stagehands at the Met. It's a 24-hour operation. You know, they, they come down a little bit in the summer because uh, the American Ballet Theater goes in there instead of the traditional opera schedule. Um, but we have 350 stagehands there, and we have, you know, you know, the industry as well as I, that, you know, on Broadway, you know, whatever the show is, there could be a greater amount of stage crew on the show, or, or depending on, on how much the needs are, it could be less. But uh, the load-ins and the load-outs predominantly are a larger part of our employment, and then the shows, uh, you know, are scaled down. But the Met has as many uh, as, as all of Broadway combined. And you have Lincoln Center, you know, all the industrials surrounding that, Radio City, Madison Square Garden, and we service every television network and cable. So we're pretty we're pretty broad out there.
0: I can't imagine it. the issues are the same in each
1: different medium. Totally, must be. totally different. And I even try to explain that, you know, I sit on the Central Labor Council, where, where predominantly they'll say, our contract's up. You know, like the MTA, our contract's up with the city. 75 contracts, so every venue, you know, every space has its own contract. We actually have a benefit with the League of America, you know, with the, with the Broadway League where, um, you know, they represent with us 31 theaters where we can negotiate, uh, you know, the Needle Landers, the Champs, and the Shoots can negotiate a master agreement, and pretty much some of the, the theaters that surround it we can follow through. But, you know, everybody else has their own individual agreement, and they all have to be individually bargained, and uh, it's... You know, it's ongoing. I have 12 open negotiations right now. That Twelve? We're Twelve. And we have to we have to get a deal on each, and we've got to move to the next set. And it's that's why we have four business agents as well.
0: It can't be an easy gig for you, keeping members of uh, of the uh, the union that's at the Opera and the Broadway true. happy. It's true.
1: And, and it's the same thing with employers. Employers are comparing their contracts with, with everybody else, and our members are saying, why are we not getting more or in the less than somebody else's and, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. You try to try to please everybody.
0: You've seen a lot of changes, I would imagine, in our industry over the past couple of decades.
1: Yeah, yeah. What,
0: what's the biggest change that you've noticed in your
1: work? Uh, well, for, for the union itself, the biggest changes are one, the automation, which has reduced, frankly, some of our crews for the shows that I was talking about, and the healthcare crisis that's affected not only, you know, our union, every union, but every organization across the country. So, you know, with automation and, you know, comes greater challenges because of the technical aspects and you got to, you know, there's, there's just as we say this and it's with respect. You know, we're no longer, you know, uh, the industry of box pushers. Everybody brings a talent. Everybody has to get added knowledge or added skill. And, uh, and automation has increased, you know, requirements on the load-ins and the tech periods. But when you get to show, you're breaking down to a smaller crew, and that means that some of those folks that were on the load in the tech period are uh, looking for work, work elsewhere. And again, as a matter of respect, you know, even to the to the to our employers on Broadway, um, you know, we're we're now in a really successful period of time where there's there's shows in the theaters, but and there's folks backed up waiting to come in. You know, some of our members who say, well, you know, let's wait for the next show. Let's wait for this show to leave. And bring the next show in because we have a load-in period that we actually can be employed. So that's contrary to some of our producers, obviously, because they want their show to run as many as possible. So it's a it's a balance that you have to deal with. The healthcare crisis, everybody's dealing with it, and uh, and you know we're part of that as well. And and uh, until somebody with a white horse uh, 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 comes in from across this country and changes something, we're all going to be uh, dealing with it. And our employers have. Uh, for the most part, acknowledged it and and helped us with contributions as part the board
0: yeah we're all going through i, I have a health care <laughs> i'm an APAM member which is covered by atsi now yeah. as well but i we all my as a business owner with my employees yeah. we have a
1: we have an issue it's, it's a struggle so
0: one thing I've noticed about you is you're a very hands-on president. When I was a company manager and a general manager, I would see you backstage talking to people. As a producer, I remember having an issue on Godspell, and I emailed you. Email me back right away. We settled an issue, the issue
1: with the business rep. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: do you have a style of management that you would describe, or
1: you want? And I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. My style is I get 110 emails a day. And I try to respond to every email in a moment's notice because I know I'm going to get the following ones followed. I'm sure you have the same thing. I get 90 phone calls a day. Just like, listen, it's like every other, you know, you know somebody that has a, has a leadership role. Um, I, I, I try to tell my members, you make a phone call, I'm going to return a call that day because you need me if you called me that day. I say the same thing to our employers because I respect their needs as well. But my style is just is is deal with it now because it's not going away. And don't deal with something, you know, later that you can take care of now. Um, and I'm very, very sincere that I have to provide a service to both our members and to the employer. And I need to do that with honor. And I live by that.
0: I have a two-minute rule. If I can respond or solve the problem within two minutes, I have to do it right then and yeah. there. That's what I tell my uh,
1: employees. Well, even us. I think I I responded to you at midnight, and you responded back. I know. It's like wham, well, because that's when, and frankly, that's that's when the best time to get it done, because you're just so much you're on the go. It's, it's, it is what it is. Do you like dealing directly with producers when producers
0: email you and say, "Hey, there's a there's an issue. Can we talk about this?" Or does it?
1: I'll I'll deal with any anybody that's going to have a productive result frankly, there's not a lot of producers that contact me directly. Typically, they'll ask theater owner to call, but I've had producers that have contacted me, and I'm glad to do that um, listen I'm not going to say no to anybody that's it's going to it's going to have a result. I really am not and i again, first and foremost, I need to be a general uh, who are your favorite producers and who are your least favorite? I'm just kidding you don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to answer that. I may know the answer to that question <laughs> anyway might, you're, you're <laughs> <might>. <laughs> um
0: now uh let's talk you were president during the the one strike in the union's 100 plus year history 2007 which was uh, again it was the first strike what was it about that time that which things got to such a head that they had never
1: been before for both sides actually do you think my, my view on that is is that um i'm going to be honest and, and even some of my friends on the other side of the table might might not um, appreciate it but I think that it was a time that where the producers were becoming more vocal and the producers were becoming more demanding and the theater owners who in the past, and listen, my job is to review the past and see the history and the theater owners, frankly, controlled our negotiations in the past. And I saw a turn where the producers had more involvement. And frankly, it's their money on the productions and they want to see, they want to see, they have demands and they want to see results. And I, I saw that change. Um, you know, with, with, uh, with, with the strike, which is unfortunate because nobody wins with a strike. I can tell you our own internal pro- problems with our international is part of it. I'm going to say it. Uh, I think that maybe uh, you know, our international at the time, because it's totally different now, um, it might have created politics that shouldn't have been. And, uh, and we don't, listen, we didn't have the relationship back then that we do now. I mean, that, that's actually, it's healed you know, really well. I have I've had relationships with with the folks in the Broadway League in the past and and uh, you know what they didn't apologize they wanted cuts they wanted serious cuts and and it's my job you know it's the only union's leadership job to protect uh, the money that our folks are making it's and you again you try to find that balance they want to give us less and we want to make more and you try to find the middle ground and it was unfortunate that that it came to that but uh, uh, we can sit in the room now and I think that. Uh, I'd like to think that I matured out of that as well, and try to get a better understanding, and, and I have better relationship with the same people. In the room I,
0: that's actually with my next comment. As after that strike, there's been one or two negotiations since that.
1: Oh, uh, two thousand and seven. So two thousand and ten. So there's been two. So there's been two. actually no. There was a five year deal. So there's been one. There's been one. So we go back to the table this summer. Soon. Yeah. And I have heard really, I didn't hear anything
0: about the first negotiation. I haven't heard really anything about the second. So it does feel like things have quieted down on the relationship
1: front between the two parties. It it was very fragile right after the strike. And we all knew that. But I think everybody had had a little bit of a relief because, you know what, the result of that negotiation was, you know, we gave and we got. And the Broadway League, they gave and they got. And, And both sides suffered. Um At the same time, I think there was also a little bit of um, uh, added respect for both sides, and I'd like to believe that. But since then we we had a negotiation that was very cordial. It was uneventful, frankly, and uh, but even since then now is I think that the relationship has even grown much much better. Like I said, I, I'd like to think that that I learned as much as maybe the other folks did and, and that uh, we all figured out looking ahead to the future a little bit what do you think about
0: and i ask your opinion on this as a really an audience member mm-hmm. as well as the president of uh, the stagehand union what do you think about telecasting broadway shows being shown in theaters around the country like it is at the opera actually where you have a deal there. they do
1: have a deal um i'm i'm going to tell you is i don't know if i have an educated guess my opinion is is that whatever promotion that we can possibly do to to sell tickets is is a good thing and at a price that the audience can can afford uh our concern at the met was is that we were you know the market was being challenged because of that and until i see some sort of statistic um you know I, i can't really give give an educated guess on that but at the end of the day if we can get the shows out there and folks can see them, it's going to bring them, you know, bring them into the theater. That's a good thing. Uh, I don't know if I've actually seen that at the Met, though, and that's the only thing that I can really, really leave an example for. And
0: I actually don't know the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Broadway doesn't have a deal in place to do this, right? We have if if we wanted to do this. If we want, if I was producing a Broadway show and I said, you know what, I want to show this in movie theaters. There's no, there's some precedent there for some shows that have done it, but there's no formula for it. There,
1: there was an organization. Uh, oh my goodness, it was had to be, thirteen, fourteen years ago. There was a Broadway television network that tried to bring up that concept, and uh, I think there was one example. There was, there was a show years ago that Carol Burnett was what, it, and they broadcast it, but but that deal has since expired because it was untested. It really didn't. It wasn't really something that that worked. Um. You know, pretty much now, if you do a broadcast, we would negotiate, uh, a buyout fee, as, as all the other unions would for the folks that have creative involvement with the show. Um, but no, there is no general agreement in place. And frankly, we've come accustomed, you know, if that would come up, we would just sit down and we, and we'd negotiate a deal. I
0: I joked about your favorite, least favorite producers, but (laughs) all joking aside, um, You've worked with a lot of them. You've seen a lot of them. You've negotiated with many of them. You've been sure. at opening night parties with many of them. Sure. Charity events. Sure. What are some of the qualities that you think make a great producer today in this market?
1: For for myself, you know, and I'm going to tell you, and I don't know if it's going to be like a cliche, but a, a producer just like anybody else, if they have if if they're creative and they have respect for, for the product to produce producing and the folks that are that are, that are you know making that product and and they and they you know and they're prepared and they're willing to acknowledge everybody's you know input um to me not only a producer but anybody in our industry i'm, a, I'm going to appreciate that person and and i'm also going to respect that they say listen there's things that you can help us with and and, I, and i'm willing to listen to that and, and again it's only what my authority can grab but at the end of the day um, you know, if I'm asking them to allow input, I'm going to say, hey, why don't you give us in input as well? So with anybody, anybody that's going to respect anybody's opinion and involvement and allow creativity, I'm, I'm on board with that.
0: Where do you see labor relations? You said you're interested in the labor movement as a whole, not sure. just in Broadway.
1: Where do you see labor going in the next 20, 50 years? You know what? New York City is the number one, you know, labor city in, in the country, if not the world. Um, so, the same struggles that are, are around the country right now are, are not necessarily existing now, but they could come here. Um, you know, for, so for folks that don't care about the labor movement you know, versus somebody like me who leads a labor organization, um, the challenges across the country where states are trying to eliminate the ability for collective bargaining, and I think collective bargaining overall is, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a right that folks have to, to say, like what I just said. Come back, come at the table, talk about what each other's requirements are, talk about whatever each other's needs are, and try to come out to a mutual agreement. And I never saw, you know, I thought I would never see in my lifetime where uh, there would be states suggesting that collective bargaining wasn't a right for anybody in this country or, or, or a right to even, you know, choose a union to represent them. Um, and if it can happen in, in, in Wisconsin, if it can happen in Indiana, you know, it might take a whole lot of time, but it could happen here as well. So, um, you know, union, unions as a whole are, uh, you know, are, are under attack. And, and maybe a lot of it is, is justified. And I'd like to think in, in the cases where I believe some locals are, are, are sophisticated and honorable and doing the right thing and providing a good service, um, I don't think that's warranted. So, to each their own. But, uh, I, uh, I'd like to think that we're more, more successful than most. There are
0: lots of jokes about producers out there, and you made a comment of uh, "we're not a union of box pushers anymore." Yeah. Are there any myths about stagehands that you'd like to dispel? Like, what's the biggest myth when you hear like, "Oh, geez, not the how many stagehands does it take to turn in a light bulb?" All joke. Right. Um, uh, what what like irks you about p- some people's public perception of the powerful, almighty stagehands union? Yeah,
1: the biggest thing that irks me and it irks some of our members is. When it comes out in the press, and typically it'll happen. And it's, listen, it's all fair game. It comes out in the press, and how much money our our, our stagehands It Usually comes out before a major negotiation. That, listen, it's all fun and. and I wonder well and how war. that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know what? But again, that's that's part of the process. It's all on and war. You know, that's a small group that will earn that kind of money. But even when they put that kind of money in the paper, it's not all telling the truth. So when they put in there that they're making certain hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's in. That's inclusive of their welfare coverage. That's inclusive of their pension fund contribution. That's inclusive of their sick day amount. And it's kind of a, it's kind of unfortunate because it's very misleading. I'm not going to suggest that anybody's eating cat food at Carnegie Hall from our crew or some of our other crews, but I, I will tell you that some of our members that who are not coming close to those earnings are disturbed by the, by the whole myth, which is a good word, that, that, that everybody's making that. I have a lot of a lot of uh, members that are, are trying to get by and I have a lot of members that are in the median of earnings and and uh, and I have a lot of members who are, who are more fortunate than others making more but uh, I, it's just a generalization that you know those making at Carnegie Hall which is still a, a is still a kind of expanded number it's not typical of everywhere else but you know what it's all fair and love and you know and you do what you got to do
0: all so, fair and love and labor yeah uh, it's funny. I never thought about that, though. You you may get calls from producers saying, "I can't believe these people make so much money." But you also make it calls from members going, "Like I can't believe they're making that much money. I'm not yeah. making that much
1: money." Yeah, and and they necessarily wouldn't. Even the average member that makes a certain amount, you know, they're, they're not. If somebody makes sixty thousand dollars, you're not putting in the press that they're making the you know whatever it costs for their health care. So you add you know ten thousand dollars on top of that, whatever their pension contribution is, you add another ten thousand, whatever their sick day value. No, the wage is the actual wage that they're taking home each week and they're adding at the end of the year. Um, it's unfortunate that the press accumulates all the, all the significant of, uh, of uh, different contributions because it's very, very misleading. Again, I'm not suggesting that some of our folks are not doing well, but not as well as, as people think. Okay, my last question.
0: Uh, I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to your office, knocks on the door, and Sounds says, it. Jimmy, you've been a you've been a great president for now in your fourth term and a great commitment to the local and to the labor movement. I'm going to grant you one wish. You can change whatever it is in our industry that drives you crazy, that upsets you, that keeps you up at night, whatever it is that really bugs you. It can be Answers to this have varied from sippy cups to <laughs> ticket prices. So it could be just the one thing that really gets at your craw about this industry that, with the snap of a finger, that genie would change. And what
1: would that one thing be? I got to come back to that. You're gonna. Tell, I'm gonna think of something. Is that the last question? <laughs> that was the last question. <laughs> All right. So you stopped me on the very last question. I got to think about that. It's actually interesting because I've never really thought about that.
0: Could be Sundays, all Sundays off, so you could spend time with your children. <laughs> it could be. Well, if you want to know the big
1: thing, is, is that New Year's Eve, where I don't think that anybody should be out on New Year's Eve. So yes, if I, if I'm really thinking about something, that's probably the thing that bothers me because I think, I think it's dangerous out there. That's unfortunate, but I also think that it's a challenge for folks to get home. Uh, so, but what I'm thinking is, is that if that's the only thing I can think of. Things aren't so bad, are they? Right? Things are not so bad. I'm sure if I had some time I could think of But it's really – if that's the thing I could think of, that's – that's. uh I think we're doing okay. But no, New Year's Eve and, – and we've actually talked about, especially with the Broadway League, about uh, adjusting the schedule and and trying to negotiate something. Because they recognize that it's a problem too.
0: It used to be that everyone did shows on – New. like everybody. It was yeah. a, When I was at Showboat, we had a champagne toast at midnight. Yeah. It
1: was a big deal. Now it's much – much
0: less, yeah. right?
1: It's uh, it's been addressed, and, and because, um, like I said, it, it's unfortunate, but it has become pretty dangerous out there. New Year's
0: Eve. And you so, even get you get holiday pay for New Year's Eve, right?
1: Uh, not really. No, New no. Year's Day. New Year's Day. Which, I was gonna say, is, which is rare. So no, we can New, work New Year's, New Year's, New Year's
0: Day. Day. We can work New Year's Day. <laughs> so here's what it is. Uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for spending time with me and the listeners today. You know, before I asked you to do this, I told one of my peers that I was hoping to get you on the podcast. And one of my peers literally said, he'll never do it. And as you indicated before, you responded to me faster to my request for doing this than anyone else I've asked. Um, and you said, and I quote in that email that I asked uh, for this interview, you said, if an interview will help promote our industry, I will gladly do it. So thank you, Jimmy, for spending time with me today and for reminding all of us that even though we're on opposite sides of the table sometimes, we're as a whole, we're on the same team, all rooting for the success of Broadway. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks for being here. And don't forget to subscribe to the blog and the podcast. Fun guests are coming up, including an actual Tony nominator. Ooh, tune in next time. You've been listening to the Producer's Perspective podcast. This episode was sponsored by the Tony nominated play Hand to God. New York Magazine says Hand to God is irresistible, intelligent, and heartbreaking. It's Broadway's unlikeliest new must see play. Get tickets to Hand to God at telecharge.com.